The way to think differently is to act differently and get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals into actionable strategies you can use to think big, start small, and learn fast, and find your edge with excellence. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Rick Weil, Head of Global Products and Analytics at Amazon. I first met Rick in 2017 in Singapore, where we were both speaking at the Project Management Institute's Global Executive Summit, an event that brings together over 50 of the world's largest organizations and their leadership to explore how to create high-performance organizations to innovate at scale. I was instantly struck by Rick's care for people, a different type of leadership mentality that I don't see very often. It was interesting to learn about his background from starting in the Marines before moving to companies such as General Dynamics, Microsoft, and now Amazon. Each of these experiences were fundamental in creating and developing his skills, aptitude, the companies that are actually making him successful today in Amazon. But before we hear of those experiences, let's go back a little bit to understand more of some of the key turning points in his career, a journey that started in the Marines. Right. When I was getting ready to get out of the military, the Marine Corps, and it's fun but scary when you make such a life transition because I loved the Marine Corps, but I always knew that I wanted to do something different. I wanted it to be the chapter and and not the book. And so we had a brand new baby boy, got out of the Marine Corps, and I had no clue what I wanted to do. What I did know is that, you know, I went to graduate school in the Marine Corps, so I had a a master's degree and right, wrong, or different at the time, I didn't want to start from like the ground up at organizations that typically take entry-level college folks. And so I interviewed at Procter & Gamble and they said, hey, you'd have to start from the ground up. I interviewed at Pfizer. I was looking at all these different places and I had just no idea what I wanted to do. But what I did know was I couldn't afford to live in California with a brand new baby. <laughs> and so we found- Don't we, don't we all know that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. so, and this is, I look back and it was so dumb, Barry, but we went to Arizona, to Phoenix, because my wife's mom lived out there. And we visited and we saw a house and we bought a house. Never had had a house, bought a house, moved, didn't have a job. I had two months of leave and it was really just an act of faith. And I was 100% confident I was going to get an awesome job. But about a month into it, I didn't have a job. <laughs> and I was starting to get pretty started to get pretty scared. But out of the blue, I got an email from somebody. His name was Joe Adamski, a retired Marine, who said, Hey, we're interested in you for a project management position on Marine Corps programs at General Dynamics. It's like, where did this come from? It was like 30 miles down the road, and by far the best transition job I could have had. And, yeah. and so I was like, wow, I, I have to nail this. And so I went into the interview and the person who interviewed me, who's a dear friend now, he's my manager for, for several years there, was you know, 35 years as an engineer, mechanical engineer, and, and then project leader at General Dynamics, same place, very technical. And he's looking at me like, hey, do you have work with developing sustainment plans for systems? I'm like, nope. <laughs> do you... <laughs> Have you ever developed technical material for, for systems? Nope. So I'm like, what have you done? 
basically, <laughs> I said, well, listen, I'm super motivated. I learn fast and I can lead. Like I've led 200 plus Marines and you know, I've led Marines in combat situations and I can figure stuff out. And so he hired me, though I wasn't, I wasn't equipped for the job at the time, but because I was enthusiastic and motivated and I could learn. And so that was a real pivotal time in my life because I sort of fell into a discipline and way of work with technology and projects that propelled me into other really cool things in my life. And it was also one of these experiences where we just took a leap of faith. I look back now and, and I'm like, that was kind of dumb. But not only did I get an awesome job, but we landed next to this incredible church. And you know, we weren't really, you know, we were very spiritual, but weren't really strong in our faith then. And we got stronger in our faith and it just presented the building blocks for a lot of who we are now. And so now when I when when we roll into different phases of life, we're willing to take risks. You know, I, I mentioned Barry that we moved from Seattle to Nashville about a year ago to build part of my team out here. Like we bought a house before my wife had ever even been out here. We didn't even see the house. <laughs> we're like, let's do it. And then we got here and it's an incredible neighborhood and we love it. And so it's uh I think it gave us the courage to be bold in other well, parts uh, of our life. Well look I'd love to say it sounds like the system for you is go buy a house and make it work. But I, th I think there's a lot going on here than that. But, you know, the thing that really stands out to me is that here and you share this story. And I think this is something I know how much this means to you, too, as well. You know, I think this the formative bit for me here is this focus on that person who gave you that job was looking at the person. They weren't looking at the piece of paper. They weren't ticking off. You know, has he got four years experience yeah. in this specific skill? They were looking at your values, your principles, your you, the person, right? Because people can learn skills, but I think the sort of mindset, the makeup of the people, I think is that when you find this values alignment, when you find this sort of like the right character, like they can figure stuff out. I don't think enough Managers, leaders look for those characteristics. The easy thing to do is to flick over a resume and have they, have they went to the right school? Have they got five years in a technology that's only two years old? Like whatever the, this sort of, and I know a lot of your work, especially when you were in Amazon today, is helping build these teams. So what have been some of those sort of things that you've noticed in yourself as time has yeah. gone by, but maybe you've unlearned even in yourself as you started to build some of these teams. What are some of the things that jump out to you? Yeah. When it comes to unlearning, you know, one of the things that I had to really focus on in creation of a positive culture. And so you're talking a lot too about hiring. And so like one dimension is hiring when you're trying to create a positive culture, because for me, I really look at the human element. When I'm asking someone questions, I'm testing how motivated are they really? What makes them tick? This sounds funny, but I want someone who's going to come in and want to get their peers promoted. Someone who's going to be an advocate for those to the right and the left, not somebody who's trying to compete against them. Like when you can create this culture where everybody wants to help each other towards a shared goal, you've unlocked some incredible opportunities for performance and just a fun workplace where people go home and they treat their husbands, their kids, their wives, their partners better because of the experiences that they had on work, at work, even if it was really hard. But as a leader too, you have a huge impact on the culture, a huge impact. And so my job, probably my main job, when, especially when I have really big teams, is 
I'm a steward for the culture with people that I bring in, but then also how I act. And so how I act is definitely something that I've had to unlearn multiple times throughout my career. Yeah. And one of the things I had to unlearn is ways I lead by example. And so you always hear, and it's true, you need to be credible, you need to be relatable, you need to lead by example. In the Marine Corps, General Dynamics, Microsoft, Amazon, it's the same, same principle. But there are ways that you do that that differ depending on team size, construct. And one of the things that I had to learn, I remember early on in the Marine Corps, when I started to have bigger teams, I would hear things where you know, people would come in and complain about things. And you know, I always took pride on getting stuff done and working harder than others and being available and like jumping in. And I was like the Doc Holiday of, uh, <laughs> of fire. It's like, what? what's up? I'm going to jump in and get it done. And I remember one time Marines came and they had a problem and, and I jumped in and, and instead of solving it, I caused so much churn because of my positional power and authority was different than it had been before. And I didn't realize that. And I remember the Marines looking like, sir, we were just talking to you about it. We didn't expect you to jump in and do something. And it really hit me in the face to say like, listen, I need to slow my role. And I need to listen and really understand how to best work through people. And so, you know, especially as I have bigger teams, I listen and, and I observe, you know, sometimes I have to jump in. But for the most part, I need to kick back and have the self-control to let my leaders, especially when you're managing managers of managers, yeah, let my leaders take care of it and find ways to coach through questioning that negates me having to jump in. Such a tough transition for so many people, right? Like I always think there are these sort of real inflection points in, you know, what I think what takes people from good to great leaders is ah. this, and, and you sort of talking a little bit about this is, Working uh, through people, like leading through questions, you know, it's funny. One of the people we had on the show recently was Christian Metzer. He's the CIO of Volkswagen Financial Services. He's one of these people who's a huge believer in role modeling the culture you're looking for. And the team, you know, would constantly be, you know, they make fun of him. You're the CIO. You just sit around, you don't do anything all day, you know, tell us what to do. So what he did was he let someone else be the CIO for the day. He literally said, okay, I'm going to feel like what it's like to be you for a day. So let's, why doesn't someone else be CIO? And this two-year engineer, like one, one, I don't know if it's the prize, but he won it, right? And he was the CIO for the day. And halfway through the day, they had a major outage. Like literally their, their services went down. And Christian still let him persist in this role. And he would sit in the meetings and see how the team would react. It, wow. You know, it's but it's powerful, right? It's powerful for the team. It's powerful for the leader to observe, right? Just as you're explaining in your experience too, why do we hire all these super smart people yep. if we're just going to tell them what to do? Like nobody can know it all. And this stewardship is really interesting notion you're saying, like stewarding the culture, stewarding the decision-making. How have you learned that in a way? How have you sort of... on? made that transition to know that you're guiding here rather than the person who has to have all the answers? Or what were some of the things you've noticed about yourself that you started to evolve as, you know, you're leading massive teams in like, you know, and a massive company like Amazon now. So, you know, you can't answer every question. It's limiting to performance as you're aware. So what helped you sort of make some of those subtle transitions? Two things come to mind. I have to have multiple and comprehensive sensing mechanisms. And I need to have the courage to 
take, synthesize, and act on 360-degree feedback, bar none. Mm-hmm. And so when I, when I mean by sensing, you know, if I go back to the Marine Corps, I remember the first company I had. A company is roughly 200 Marines, and there's four companies in a battalion or a squadron. And the company I had had 12 different groups, like a logistics group and a food service group and an admin group. And the groups really didn't mingle together. And when Marines are not in training or not in a wartime scenario, idols, minds, a devil's workshop, and Marines get in trouble. <laughs> and so as, as an officer, you not only are in charge of performance, but you need to keep your Marines out of trouble. And what I realized very quickly was I needed to understand why the Marines were getting in trouble. And so it's, it's almost the opposite of the story you just mentioned. I was just, I would call myself Lance Corporal Weil. You know, a Lance Corporal is a relatively junior enlisted Marine. And I would show up unannounced at PT sessions, physical training sessions, because Marines are supposed to exercise Monday, Wednesday, Friday in the morning as a group. I would just show up and I would observe. I was like, don't call me sir. I'm just Lance Corporal Weil. And what I observed was that the sergeants weren't as strong as they needed to be. And because the sergeants weren't as strong as they needed to be, the other junior Marines weren't learning how they needed to be learning. And so that was a, my point is that was a sensing mechanism for me to make other organizational types of changes with my leadership team. My leadership team knew way more than me. I mean, some of them been in the Marine Corps 20 years. I was like a boot lieutenant, three years. But I needed to have that anecdotal feedback from many different places in order to effectively know what strings to pull in the right way with my leaders, but also doing it in a very respectful way because of their experience. And so like I learned then that I have to have a bunch of different ways to sense what I've learned. One of the many things I've learned at Amazon is the power though then of taking those sensing mechanisms, especially the 360 degree ones and knowing, knowing what to pay attention to, what to shelve (laughs) and what is a pattern that I need to hit directly in the face. And I'll give an example. We have, we have these things at Amazon called connections that every day there's a question that pops up. I love it. And some of the questions are, you know, very direct, like my manager, comma, Rick Weil, comma, motivates me to do the best job I can on a scale from one to five. I'm like, oh, I hope they hit five. And, and, you know, I do the same thing with my manager. But there will be times where it's like, hey, I have all the information that I need to effectively do my job. Or my manager gives me the freedom to, you know, I'm making these up, but you get the point where I'm like, wow, I thought I would be of a higher score. So let me you know, let me in one-on-ones and such, just ask some more probing questions so like I can learn. And, and I've made changes to my leadership style where I was not leading through others, where I was jumping in too much by taking and embracing that 360-degree feedback along with other sensing mechanisms that just help me know what levers to, to pull. And, and the other question is like, how do you know what levers to pull? And I think some of that just takes EQ. As a leader doing it a long time, it's very analogous to a, a chef versus a, a cook. Today, I saw a quote. I always talk in leadership. I have a quote that I'll say it, that just because you can follow a recipe doesn't make you a good cook. And I think it's the same with leadership. Just because I can read all these books on leadership and, and follow the recipe doesn't make me a good leader. There's a certain intrinsic EQ, understanding people piece to it that comes through experience that you have to really, really rely on. And I saw another quote on that today about the difference between a chef and a cook, but it was very, is analogous to, to the quote that I use all the time. 
And, uh, you know, as a leader, you need to be able to understand how you can effectively learn from that sensing and drive change into an organization where it's empowering versus. Oh, well, this is sort of fascinating to me, you know, like you're joining so many dots in my mind, just listening. Like even when you're talking about being in the Marines and going in as sort of a treat me as, you know, just almost like a nobody. This idea of humble inquiry, Dr. Edgar Stein, who talks a lot about leaders and leading with questions, right? To understand like the real information that's going on to help give them the great information they need to make better decisions. Um, Management by walking around, famous by Hewlett-Packard, right? Like going to the Gemba in Toyota Productions. Yes, yes. Right. It's these notions of sort of removing your rank, your and being humble to go to these places to learn to these sensing mechanisms you're talking about, like to get the best information to understand the true reality and then make some better decisions to either evolve yourself, to evolve the team. Now, I love hearing, you know, Amazon's mechanisms, like these questions that are prompting teams to create that information to share back with managers. You do with your products as well, right? Like great analytics on how people are using your products to inform what you build and don't build. And these systems are, they're very deliberate. And I think to some people, they're sort of invisible. I think they're really intentional, both to great leaders and to great companies building great products. To hear you even talk about sensing mechanisms, using it to gather information, using it to evolve yourself. It's really great for people to hear that because I think it has to be that intentional, your practice of, of improvement. It, it's not an anecdotal, you know, and how have you really like honed that practice in yourself? Those two things came to mind, but how do you keep focusing on yourself to just keep getting a little bit better or, you know, trying to keep putting yourself in these scenarios where you can learn really what's going on or recognizing behaviors that are limiting your current success and you need to evolve. What are some of the things that come to mind when I ask you those questions? One thing that comes to mind, and actually when I was reading Unlearn, you had this really cool diagram, but it's actually, and I really liked it, and it brought me back to this Marine Corps example, and it was around changing behavior, which changes your perspective and then changes your mindset, changes and impacts your mindset and affects your future behavior. And so what I, what I ended up learning in the Marine Corps very early is It's one thing to ask questions to sense how things are going, but then the questions need to extend beyond work into a genuine appreciation for the person. And so, hey, how are things going? Oh, by the way, you know, how's your mom? How's your dad? How's your sister? How are things going? And like truly caring, truly caring about people. And what I found, Barry, is that when I would have a new company and I would get in front of the Marines, you know, once a week after our total company PT, physical training, and try to motivate them. When I have a new company, I could tell that they were rolling their eyes inside when I say like, we're going to do this and we're awesome and blah, blah, blah. Or like we need to get our stuff together because we're not performing. Yeah. But then as I would go around and I would talk to people and I would get to know them, I get a couple of head nods the next week. Then I would get to know more people. They see that I'm credible. They see that I care, that I take care of them, that I lead by example. And I start getting a couple of the next day or the next week. And then in about a month, the team is fired up. And then I have a different type of platform to bring the team together. And in this one example, as I mentioned before, where we had all these different teams that didn't work together, what I ended up doing is, is not only attending 
some of the Monday and Wednesday physical training. But when we had our own company, so 200 people getting together on Fridays, we ended up having competitions where I would mix up all the teams and have the sergeants lead these teams in competitions and whoever won got the day off because you can do that in Marine Corps. And what I found is then my boss, who was the squadron commander, every month he would have a company competition. And I was like, if we win this, it's going to create a mechanism and a, a point of identity for our team to bring us even closer. It's like a shared, like everyone wants to be part of a winning team. And so we won the first one. We won the second one. And like, you know what happened, Barry? All of a sudden, the numbers of folks on a team getting in trouble went from a decent percent to zero. <laughs> because we're all part of a shared identity and doing something awesome. But, but it also, too, from a leader, it had to do with the relationships that I was building with people because I love to do it. So then you ask the question, like it's intrinsic in me. Then you ask the question, what about the people who really don't care? Like, what about the cooks who are following a recipe and they, they really don't get the human element? And so that's why I go back to your book of saying, well, change your behavior. Pretend to care about people. That'll change your perspective. It'll impact your mindset. It'll affect your behavior. And so I've been thinking about it a lot, you know, after reading a book too, of what about these people who don't care? Because <laughs> there are people like that. You've worked with them. Yeah, ab absolutely. absolutely. Like, Give me the book. I want to be a VP. You know, I'll follow the recipe. But guess what? They're going to see right through it. So anyhow, for me, though, over time, what I've seen enduring is if you care, it's a give a crap factor. If you care, people will care about you. If you embody then the mission, if you embody the goal, if you embody the product, people will, will care about the product. But as a leader, you've got to care. And that caring, I've seen, has such positive success in the leaders across all industries, all spectrums of work. I couldn't agree anymore at this point. You know, I think it was for me as well. I think that was one of my another one of these inflection points in how I could work or lead teams. I definitely when I started my career felt like, right, I'm the product leader here. I've got to tell people what to do. I've got to make sure everything's working. And it wasn't working. It wasn't working. You know, I was getting my the equivalent of the eye rolls at stand up. And, you know, why is Barry telling us what to do? What to do? <laughs> But the huge breakthrough for me is that I started setting up these like one-on-ones. They were 30 minutes with everybody who were in the team. I would ask them like, you know, what frequency you know, works for you that we should check in? And some people wanted to do weekly. Some people that. preferred bi-weekly. And even in those 30 minutes, sometimes we'd go get a coffee. Sometimes I'd sit yeah, down with a person yeah. for like, for literally three minutes and they'd be like, no, everything's good. Actually, no, there's this, you know, actually this, if you could fix this one little thing over here, that would help. And the camaraderie, I noticed like that started to connect me with the team. But then the next thing they started doing this with each other, right? So they started thinking about like this notion of, well, we should all be sitting down with each other every so often and making time to get to know each other or get, and then the quality of feedback people would give to each other then started to go through the roof because they wouldn't be afraid to say things yeah. that are annoying them or upsetting them or the candor really comes in then where, and that creates more trust. It creates more team feeling. And, you know, like next thing, you know, like I still remember this so vividly, like three months in, we were building this mobile product for a company called lastminute.com in, in the UK. And we were absolutely killing it. Like we, we were <laughs> like, people would look at our team and wonder like, 
what's going on over there? There was always energy. There was laughing. There was <laughs> that's it. tough debates. There were people passionately arguing for design choices. And, and then everyone would sit back and go, like, there were disagreements, but people would get stuff done. And it was really, you know, like a, a real breakthrough and moment for me about when, you, when people really get the sense that you care for them as a person. And when you give them difficult feedback, it's not that you don't like them. It's actually because you care about them, that you want them to get better. And that's when they can take tough criticisms in a positive light. But you've got to do the work to build those sort of that sort of trust mechanism with people. And it's so interesting as you're sharing that, like, these are the things to pop into my mind in response. That's I love that. I mean, that's incredible story that just amplifies that theme. I, I, I call it the crush town culture where because you care, because you're candid, because the team is, is aligned on, on the same values of supporting each other, having difficult conversations, but loving each other through them, you end up crushing it. Like <laughs> You crush it. Like it's literally crush town and, and you bring the energy, you bring the, the motivation. And I'm a firm believer too that positive teams help influence other teams to be more positive. I mean, it's not just you, Barry, can be an example. Teams can be an example. And when you see teams like your team that you were just describing, I guarantee you other people are like, what's the magic? That is awesome. It fires people up. So true. Yeah, like literally, <laughs> like, so we're in this sort of big open space office, right? And all these pods, like I would see teams just do like little things, you know, like they, like all sorts of stuff. Like people started, instead of having their, mon they had, everyone had their metrics monitors facing at the team. Well, the team started turning their monitors around to face outwards. And as they were building <laughs> sort of designs and prototypes, they would sort of put up these like feedback forms. So if you're walking around the office, uh, they would in wow. invite you to like, here, play with this prototype for the new website where, which one do you like? Have a box where you drop in stuff you like, stuff you hate. And it's a literally a ripple effect, as you were describing in the company as well, as it goes from team to squadron to squadron to squadron. Like this stuff is a network effect. And I think, you know, you can have such a huge impact by role modeling stuff in yourself, inspiring your yes. team, teams of teams. This is how you change yes. the culture. And, you know, it's like inspiring stuff to reflect upon it. You know, it's funny. And it's only when I have these conversations a lot of the time that I like <laughs> remember this stuff. And I'm like, well, awesome. very, and I would ask you, like, how did it make you feel as a leader? I'm sort of lit up here, you know, because I'm remembering the feeling of being part of a great team and how rewarding it was seeing us get better. Not me, but us and yeah. seeing other yeah. people find excitement and joy in their work and do things that, you know, like they constantly asking themselves, what could be better? What's interesting? What's something different we could try this week? And honestly, that's what lit me up. It wasn't in any of the, you know, my own personal KPIs or anything like this. It was just the energy that you would feel when you walk into the office that transformed from a sort of doldrum and people, you know, ticking off tasks and, you know, here's the next release to, yep, yep. what are we going to <laughs> do different next week? Come on, like what? It's an energy. Rush town, man. Um, you know, I think it's just very special. It's a privilege to experience it. And if anything, it just, it gives you the taste to create more and do more. That's, that's it. That's it. You said a word taste. And I was thinking about 
I was reflecting just on my total career and I, I like literally wrote down that the first time I got that taste, I called it taste, was in, uh, in college when I was a captain of my college sports team. And, and what I realized is it's really a leadership as a platform. You know, we talk about all these different platforms for, for products and, you know, platforms as a service and all these types of things. But like leadership is a platform to positively impact the lives of those you work with. And when you look at, at leadership in that really servant leadership type of view, it just brings a different dimension to what you're doing. Part of servant leadership is providing the guardrails, the constructive feedback, you know, the hard things along with caring. It's all part of caring. It's, it's the same way that we treat people we really care about outside of work. But when you look at leadership as a platform, not as a position of individual power where, where folks on your team that you lead are pawns, it just changes the way that you think about life and work and directly correlates with the performance of your teams, bar none. I really enjoy hearing that, especially from someone who's leading these technical platform teams to think of this personal platform behaviors. Is, I think that's a really great, vivid image for folks to take away. So I have to ask you then, right? What advice yeah. do you have for business leaders struggling with this concept then of both learning and unlearning? What are some of those little points that, that as you reflect on, sort of jump out to you? The simple phrase, mission first, people always comes to mind. And because this one's really easy, I mean, it's a military phrase. Marines always think that Marines came up with everything. So I'll just say if the Marines <laughs> came up with it, even I don't know. But, uh, but it's the fact of organizations are created to add value and they're created for a reason. A common misnomer, and I think that people get concerned about, if I just focus nothing on the people, then what happens? Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, you need to crush it and you need to deliver. But again, there's the, the direct correlation with creating a healthy culture, taking care of people and caring with the performance of your organization. And so mission first people always, always take care of people. Always make sure that, that people know that you care, that you're creating a safe environment, that you have the right constructs in place the right mechanisms, the right roles so that people can most effectively do their job. And so when you create this human-centered culture, you're going to unlock the best from people. And so I would say for leaders who maybe it's not naturally, like for me, it's probably more natural. Like I've always been a caring type of person. It's just how, who I am. But I've seen so many people, it's just not a natural, it's not to say they're not incredible people. It's just not the first thing that they gravitate towards. And I go back very to your book of, change your behavior and just give it a go. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I, I go back to a, I'll give one more quick example. Of when, when I was in college and my sports team, um, I was at the Naval Academy, it was a boxing team. And I remember I, I had to lead workouts in the afternoon and I was so tired. It was our middle of our season. We were running at like five in the morning, going to class all day. And so there's probably 80 people out there and I'm trying to lead workouts and, and I'm not motivated. They're not motivated. And I'm like, I'm going to try something here. And I just like faked my way through it. I'm like, I'm going to get motivated and see what happens. So I got motivated. They got motivated. And because they got motivated, I got motivated. So I think it was like this virtuous cycle of motivation is crazy. And so I think for people who maybe have been self-consumed, for leaders who have cared about getting to the next level and, and layer of leadership and maybe haven't taken a human-centric approach, give it a shot. Because I guarantee what would happen is the sensing and, and the responding from folks will, will change your perspective, which then impacts your mindset, which then further affects your behavior, 
All I've got is a hoorah for you on the back of that one, really, right? Like, it's, <laughs> But it's so true. You know, I can only say to people, it's like, start small. Just do one little, one little small change in behavior. Think big, but start small. Right. Love it. <laughs> such a, it's such a huge impact. So then, you know, one final question for you then, like looking forward, what are some of the things that you're sort of really excited about at the moment? Like you've been doing some really interesting work like collaborating with different communities outside of Amazon to ah, improve the discipline yeah. of just project leadership overall. Can you share a little bit about what you're doing in that space? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. No, I, I mean, we talk about getting work done and, and there's different methods, different processes on how to get work done. And it's funny because in the Marine Corps, you figure out a way to get it done and you have orders and you have you know, a lot of doctrine and ways to help you do it. And I remember getting out of the Marine Corps and I was like, man, every project manager role or program management role, I was like, oh, I am absolutely overqualified for this. <laughs> and, then, and, it, and then when I got it, I'm like, I know how to get stuff done. And then when I actually worked in the defense industry, I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about here. Like requirements and schedules and Microsoft projects and- Funding and, meetings, business cases. Yeah, applied earned value, like, what are you talking about? But then I was like, I unlearned my previous way of doing things so I could learn like, yeah, this is how you get work done in, in this type of environment. And like geeked out and got my PMP and became a total project nerd. Then when I went to commercial tech, I was like, where's all the process? <laughs> like, where is it? You guys aren't doing it right. And then I realized, no, there's a reason why you don't have as much process here. But I also realized that I don't want to unlearn it all. There's some real goodness in the rigor that I had learned before because uh, it's analogous to the alphabet. When you have some level of standardization, you can create Shakespearean works of art. So yeah. when it comes to getting work done, especially project work, I've always been to the mindset that like some type of standardization for folks who aren't going to be project managers, they just want project management as a skill, can be very impactful for people. Let's give people a mental model of how to get work done. Even if I'm a a husband is trying to remodel my kitchen. Like, I need something that just tells me how to go about it so I don't have to rework. Yeah. And so in collaboration with PMI, I partnered to co-develop a product called Kickoff that they're unleashing here soon, unleashing to the masses, that is essentially a web-based guide to project management that starts at the foundational level. Like, how do you get started? How do you plan and create like baselines? that are at a very low low level of sophistication with the tools to increase depending on the risk and complexity of your project. What are some templates that you can easily use and how do you just put it in plain speak so people can learn the fundamentals of project management? And again, this is for folks who want project management as a skill set. It's been really cool to partner with PMI on it and we're piloting in different parts of my organization, and I know there's a bunch of others on the council who are, who are taking a look at it. It's been really fun to put together, but uh, we'll see where it goes. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Well, look, I think to come full circle on all this, I think it's always so good to give back, you know, and I can imagine the person that was sitting in that meeting in Phoenix after moving there and buying a house and whole <laughs> life was like riding on this interview if someone could give them a chance, you know, and I think you know, sharing your experiences back both on this podcast and, and all this great content that you're creating with people. I think, you know, thank you for that. Been great to have you on the show. So many fun stories and great examples. So, you know, I know you're going to keep sharing them as you keep going. Again, 
thank you very much for your time and your insight. It's been a pleasure. Barry, thank you, brother. It's been awesome getting to know you ever since Singapore and, uh, man, following you on LinkedIn on, on a daily basis and reading your books. And so you're, you're inspiring and motivating uh, thousands and thousands of people, brother. So thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Very satisfying to hear that, Rick. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Take it easy. See ya.